0: We're going to continue our series called A Strange Way to Save the World, and it's coming from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 through 20. And of course, this whole season we've been hearing these verses several times, but there's no time like the present to read and listen to them again. In that region, so this is after Mary and Joseph have given, Mary's given birth to Jesus, and they are in Bethlehem. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. So they're in Bethlehem, and just outside of Bethlehem, there's lots of really beautiful sheep pasturing land. Bethlehem's just sort of right on the edge of where you can you can take your flock and find a little bit of grass Versus when it starts to like crest over the hillside towards the Salt Sea or Dead Sea, and then there's no grass at all. So this is good land for a shepherd. It's not far from where the prophet Amos lived in Tekoa, and they're there in Bethlehem, and it's still known today to go to Bethlehem and see shepherds with their flocks out in those fields nearby there um, in Palestine. And it's quite beautiful, and there's even places you can visit called the shepherd's fields um, there's probably even a shepherd's field cafe. You can get a coffee. Okay, so there's an angel of the Lord who stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, who is the, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them, "'And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, "'which the Lord has made known to us.' "'So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. "'When they saw this, they made known what had been told about this child. "'And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. "'But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. "'And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard.' and seen as it had been told them. The title of tonight's sermon is An Odd Announcement. So we've been talking about a strange way to save the world. Pastor Kevin kicked off the series at the beginning of December. We talked a little bit about how our fear is called out in this story, where the angels have to just shout with, do not fear, but then our We're invited to amazement right in that same moment. And then Pastor Tom preached last weekend one of the best Christmas messages I've ever heard. So if you didn't get a chance to hear that, go back and grab it um, in his continued uh, meditation on this strange way to save the world. And now we're just going to talk about these odd announcements. Don't you think that they're odd? I think that they're a little odd, but I just, I don't think that only the announcement to a group of shepherds who are keeping watch over their field, over their flocks in a field at night, that a savior's been born and then you'll find him in this way, that's an odd announcement, but the announcements, these odd announcements are characteristic of our nativity story. They start from the beginning, right? Zachariah is in the temple burning incense, and he's told, even though he's very old and his wife is very old, um, that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. That's an odd announcement to receive. Um, Mary gets an odd announcement from an angel. It says, "'You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus.'" That, for her, is an odd announcement, right? She's not yet married. She does not have a spouse. She's trying to figure out how this is going to happen. Um, Then there are magi traveling, strangers, foreigners from another land. And they show up to Herod and give Herod a very odd announcement, according to Matthew. Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? New information for Herod. For we have observed his star at its shining and have come to pay him homage. An odd announcement from both strangers in the land as well as to the powers that be. And now here we have this weird, odd announcement that a Savior's been born, and the shepherds are told this, and this will be the sign. You will find a child wrapped in bonds of cloth, bands of cloth, and lying in a manger. That's an odd announcement, right? That's not the typical place where you find a child um, kept, no? No? You guys all have mangers at home, right? You've laid your newborn children. And a manger, as we've all seen for in all of our little nativity crush sets, is like a wooden box with hay in it. But no, it's more likely from all archaeology that this was a stone trough that held water in it that would be on the ground because we really allow sheep and livestock to also eat off the ground, all the hay and stuff like that. They didn't have a feeding trough, but they would have a water trough. Not a bad place to put... The person who would later say, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And f- streams of living water will flow from within you. And also how lovely a place to be born in Beth Lechem, house of bread. So the savior of the world, the bread of the earth will be born. Bread of the world will be born there. But still an odd announcement. And really everything about this is odd. Not just the announcements, but the way in which they're happening. And specifically to the people who are receiving these announcements That portion's odd, too. Typically, when announcements or proclamations were made, it was made with great fanfare, with royal proclamations, with huge, beautiful decrees, and literal trumpeting fanfare as Caesar would come down or any of the others in the Roman world and others to be able to say this announcement. But this announcement is being given to women, to the oppressed, to strangers, and to the impoverished. And that is odd. Those are not the type of people who are first to receive official, huge, royal announcements about the birth of a king. In this beautiful announcement that Mary receives, it's very odd, the manner in which she's told that she is going to be with child Zod. It's just her and the angel Gabriel standing there, and Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you're going to have a son, and you are going to name him Jesus, and he will be the son of of the Most High. And she says, point of order, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel explains it, which I think still probably brought up more questions than answers. This is an odd announcement. But Mary says to this odd announcement, here I am, just like prophets of old had said and prophets of time gone, of Abraham, of Moses, of so many others coming before her. Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. And so she says yes. Now, a lot of times when we think about this weird, odd announcement, we land a lot immediately on the miraculous nature of it, right? Something's weird. She's not yet married. She's a virgin. And a lot of times I've heard, or maybe it was just the culture around me or how we think about this, but I've often thought about the important part of this being that she was pure, right? That she was virginal in her mind, that that was important. And it is. But I read this article this week and I thought, well, that's an odd and interesting twist. And so I just wanted to share it with you. It's from Red Letter Christians by Shannon Evans. And the title of the article is Mary's Virginity Matters But Not For The Reasons You Think. And she said this, Mary's virginity is imperative because it represents self-belonging, self-determination. She's not the property of a husband, nor physically, emotionally, or spiritually either. Neither is she under the protection of a father. When approached by the angel Gabriel, she gives her own consent to a pregnancy that will stigmatize her for life, consulting no one else first, male nor female, peer nor elder. She would have been well aware that her fiat would make her a legally valid candidate for public stoning, but with courage she said yes. I never considered the importance of Mary's virginity from that perspective, that she's not anyone else's property, that she is able to self-determine her own choice in this matter, and that her empowered consent is required with the angel, Gabriel. I love that version. I also think it's odd. It's not typical for a woman to have such self-determination in that age, or even oftentimes today, in many parts around the world, including in our own faith tradition. We find oftentimes that women are not empowered in that way, but here, right here, in a very odd and beautiful and unique way, we are found in this odd announcement that Mary and her virginity is deeply important because she belongs to herself and no one else, and she is the one who can consent and say yes. Um, it reminds me, actually, this empowered version of Mary reminds me of this beautiful um, icon from the French Book of Hours, which was sort of like a prayer book that was given to women, oftentimes when they would get married. Um, And this is from the mid-15th century. And this is from the Manuscript 69 in the Fitzwilliam Museum Folio 48R, in case you want to look it up. But if you zoom in, look at that. Joseph has to watch the baby and Mary gets to study how awesome is that? It's like they read and understood the very odd nature of this announcement was that Mary's study of the word was required for her to be able to carry the word of God in flesh. That Joseph also is carrying and holding the word of God in this image. And um, I don't know if you noticed, but the, um, the oxen are nibbling at Joseph's halo. Um, Joseph is attending to this beautiful babe in arms while Mary gets the time, Miriam, she gets the time she needs to sit back and continue to study. So maybe the next time again, when she meets her cousin Elizabeth, she'll be able to continue to quote out of Samuel and the Psalms and Isaiah, these powerful prophetic words. It's odd how these announcements come. The information is odd, but how they are delivered is also odd and unique. What's so beautiful about this and what consistently stuns me is that as we read all these announcements, we find that Zechariah can't speak. He asks one question and then Gabriel has a bad day and says, I'm sorry, and now how dare you, and now you can't speak for until your son is born. Joseph doesn't speak. We don't hear him speak. We see that he takes courageous action, but we don't hear any words from Joseph. But the words and emotions of Mary and Elizabeth are unapologetically centered in our story. And that's odd. The sound of the nativity is in the voice of women, the voice of shepherds, and the prophetic voice of strangers who say, I saw the sun, the star rising in the east. The voice of the grieving as the voice in Rama weeps. The voice of the oppressed, the voice of the poor, the voice of refugees fleeing for their lives. To be able to center those voices that are most typically found on the margins— That is part of this beautiful, odd announcement that we have in this strange way to save the world. You see, the Christmas story is meant to turn our world inside out, upside down, in every way. The sight of poor refugee parents and a humbly born baby, surrounded by dirty shepherds and visitors from other religions and races and cultures, should jolt us awake. It should shock us as we read the story. The manger shows us a world far different than our own one that we're being summoned to create with unconditional love and inclusion. The manger is not only a reminder that God is with us, but it is a challenge to live in a way that brings God more fully and radically into our world. And yes, the economy of God, the values of God. The Christmas story erases the economic, national, racial, patriarchal lines that we draw between ourselves and others, and it turns our values and our ways of thinking upside down. It's an odd way to save the world. With the circumstances of his birth, a foreshadowing of what is to come, Jesus then will spend his life challenging the world's value systems. From the very beginning of his birth to his death, burial, and resurrection, all of it is being challenged. And he'll continue to teach things like, "'Woe to the rich, blessed are the poor, the first are last, and the last are first. The ones considered the least among us are the greatest.'" And the ones who consider themselves great are actually the least. And ultimately, victory over death will be found in laying down one's life. These odd ways to save a world are found right here in our nativity story and then echoed out throughout the entire life of Jesus. Pastor Mark quoted Bishop Desmond Tutu, who I think I'm sure has been on all of our minds, and he says this about Christmas. Through Christmas, God is saying, I am a biased God, a God who takes sides. I am biased in favor of the weak, of the vulnerable, of the voiceless. I am biased in favor of the sinner so that in my heaven, there is not just joy, but greater joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 needing no repentance. I have a soft spot for the despised And the ostracized. That's what we see in our Christmas story. And so, as we continue to reflect on our story together, I think I have a few questions for us. Will we hear Mary's unsettling cry for justice as we read her response to Elizabeth? Will we worship when the angels sing? Will we accept their invitation to come to the manger? and take our place in this revolutionary story? Do we live as though our God truly loves us like this? And will we commit to spreading the message of peace on earth and goodwill to everyone long after the song of the angels is sung? long after we leave this room and sing these beautiful, wonderful songs, Angels We Have Heard on High, and all the beautiful Christmas carols, will we understand that this is not just a beautiful, pretty story that makes us feel warm and cozy during a wintry time of year? But do we understand that this is an invitation to a revolution of love, of unconditional, vulnerable love? I love the way that Howard Thurman says it in the work of Christmas. When the song of angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among people, to make music in the heart. Our work is just beginning. The beautiful, wonderful, amazing, odd announcement in this entire story is all of this, all that God has done is this is exactly how God will be then, Emmanuel, God with us. That this is how God has chosen to be with us. In the birth of Christ, God makes up the distance between us and him. At Christmas, God bridges heaven and earth light and darkness, rich and poor, peasants and kings, shepherds and magi's, the ordinary and the extraordinary, humanity and the divine, in the birth of God's Son, both fully God and fully human. Emmanuel, God with us. In this upside down, turned around way of God saving the world, this is how God comes close and draws near. And I think many of us at the holidays can feel beautiful, wonderful time, but many of the others of us, this is the most difficult time of year. And it brings up for us all of the things that are deeply hurting or broken. And I want to say that the good news of this nativity story, the good news of Christmas, is that this story is not about you being alone, not about you being left aside or marginalized. This story It's about all of those who are brokenhearted and deep in need and oppressed and poor and marginalized being centered. And not just centered in their storytelling, but that God has drawn near that this is the story of Emmanuel with us. This is a story of God wanting to be close to the brokenhearted. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Pope Francis is a great person to follow on Twitter if you don't. He's amazing. This is what he tweeted this week. Dear sister or brother, if as in Bethlehem, the darkness of night overwhelms you, if the hurt you carry inside cries out, you are worthless tonight. God responds and tells you, I love you just as you are. I became little for you. Trust me and open your heart to me. I think that's an invitation for all of us tonight. And if some of us in this room are not feeling brokenhearted and we're feeling full of warmth and joy, then it's our turn to extend to those who are brokenhearted to pull them into the center of our loving embrace, to include and embrace all as Christ did and listen to their stories. Now, the story of these shepherds after they received this very odd announcement concludes with this. The shepherds return, they go and they see and hear and hear and see all that. And they return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. There's something about this story that should push us into amazement. That we can't wait to tell others about a God who loves so well and so deeply that God came and drew close as a vulnerable child. So we'll end tonight on the words and prayer of Augustine of Hippo from his sermon 189. I'm going to start just numbering my sermons like that. If it's good enough for Augustine. His mother bore him in her womb. Let us bear him in our hearts. The virgin was big with the incarnation of Christ. Let our bosoms grow big with the faith of Christ, she gave birth to the Savior. Let us give birth to praise. My prayer for us tonight is that we will reflect and ponder these things in our heart, and they will call us and move us to praise. We've now moved to the time in our service of communion. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed, and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and all are welcome at this table.